Welcome to the Andrew Scutt Show. My guest today is Stephanie Kaplan. Stephanie runs a blog called The Corporate Woke Place, talking about the issue that's developing with woke ideology emerging in the workplace. Wokeness is a cultural phenomenon that I'm endlessly fascinated by, so it was great to get her take on where it came from, how it affects us, and really just where it's going. So I hope you enjoy the conversation, and here we go. And Stephanie, we are now live. Good to have you here. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself for Sure, for I can listening? do that. Absolutely. My name is Stephanie Kaplan, and I have over 25 years of experience in corporate human resources, mostly at the senior management level. And about a year and a half ago, a little over a year ago, I guess, I got a little fed up with what I call corporate wokeness. So I created a blog called Corporate Woke Place, where we document the insanity that is political correctness in corporate America today. Love it, love it. So, um, what what really drove you to to do this? I know you said you kind of got fed up with it. Was it one specific thing, or was it just uh, you know eventually you're like, forget it. I need to I need to do something about this. I need to talk well, about this. Yeah, it had been building for a while. I I worked for some pretty big companies, including Starbucks and Target Corporation and some other big companies. And I've seen this build over time. It started with diversity training and what some companies call corporate social responsibility. And those were somewhat harmless at first. It was, you know, don't pollute the earth and and treat everyone nicely, regardless of what skin color they are. And so it was all pretty harmless, but then it kind of grew out of control. You know, they say the movement eats itself sometimes. And when I when it really got over the top was after George Floyd was killed. All of the companies in America seemed like they felt compelled to comment about it. I was getting emails from the pizza place up the street and the yoga studio where I take yoga classes and the place where I bought my bras online, like crazy stuff, just constant, you know, we're so upset about systemic racism in America. And I thought, what is going on? It was like the twilight zone or something. And I, I thought my company that I work for was doing a good job staying out of it. They didn't comment on it. They didn't send out any emails. We didn't blast customers or employees with anything. But about three weeks later, we had this kind of all company meeting and the CEO of the company started talking about his white privilege and how he felt so awful about the systemic racism in America and he was going to do something about it. So he said, so we've partnered with an organization called Act Blue and we want everyone to donate money and we're going to donate money on behalf of all of our employees, but we also want our employees to donate money to Act Blue and that will get funneled to organizations that help race relations including Black Lives Matter. And I was speechless because Act Blue is a fundraising arm of the Democratic Party. They raise money for Democratic candidates. Their top 10 donors in 2019, or excuse me, recipients of their money was Joe Biden's presidential campaign, Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign, Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign, et cetera, et cetera. It was all Democratic committees or Democratic candidates. And here our CEO was giving money 
to Act Blue on our behalf and asking us to send money. And with the hope that most of that money would go to Black Lives Matter. Well, I also happen to know, as many do now, but not as many knew at the time, Black Lives Matter is a Marxist organization that advocates for the destruction of the nuclear family, does not support the right of you know, the state of Israel to exist. I mean, there's so many things that Black Lives Matter is about that is not what I'm about. And so I was shocked and disgusted that the CEO asked us to do this. And I thought, I can't take this anymore. So I did two things. First, I sent a three-page letter to the CEO anonymously, actually the whole executive team. And I said, I can't believe you asked us to do this. Please don't ever do this again. I am not a Democrat and I am not a supporter of Black Lives Matter. And I just want to work here. And I think you overstepped. And I don't think you should have done that. I think you went too far. So I will say they never asked us to donate again. So I don't know if my letter had something to do with it <laughs> or not, but they, they never asked us to do that again. But of course, now we have a diversity and inclusion strategist who works for the company and we're doing all these diversity initiatives, which, you know, some, some of those are, are fine. Um, and some of those I think go a little too far. It's obviously their yeah, company. Yeah. They have the right to run it the way they want, but it was, it was a little much for me when they did that. So the second thing I decided to do was start a blog where I could, you know, have an outlet to sort of vent about it and help other people, give other people a place to go to kind of commiserate, share, and, and hopefully figure out ways to fight back. And we also celebrate when companies do it right, because there are some companies that stand up to this and it ends up working out pretty well for them. Yeah. I, um, where do you think it becomes a problem? Like where, where do you feel like the line needs to be drawn? Where has it gone too far? Well, I think when you're, you're sort of picking one side over the other, you know, I agree that people should feel comfortable at work, but I don't think we need to ask everyone to select their pronouns at work. I don't think that's, I don't think that's necessary. That, that applies to such a small percentage of the population of people who select pronouns that are other than the gender that was assigned at their birth. Yet we're asking everyone to put their pronouns in their signatures or select their pronouns in, in you know, the databases and that kind of thing. And I think that goes too far. I think it goes too far when companies such as Coca-Cola and Delta Airlines are speaking out against a law passed in Georgia regarding voting and calling it racist when there's nothing racist about requiring people to show identification when they want to vote. Yet these companies were taking a stand on that. And I think it's a no-win situation for them. They just don't realize it yet, but it's really a no-win situation for them because all they're doing is alienating half of America, right? We're, pre we're pretty split in America. You could call it 50-50. It's not exactly that, but it's pretty pretty close on some issues. So why would you intentionally do that? How about we're not going to comment on states' voting laws because we're here to sell soda or fly people from one place to the other? That has nothing to do with the, the laws in Georgia regarding voting. Yeah, it seems like it's a little out of place for these companies to be, you know, kind of try, trying to impose their political opinions and viewpoints on you know people who work there and their customers and that kind of thing like it's it does, to your point it's not really relevant like uh, it, it's it's weird and you even see now um some movements of, of companies that are you know 
putting the kibosh on it all together. Like I think it was uh, Basecamp that somewhat recently came out and said, we're not going to discuss politics at work. That's not what we're here to do. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it was. Well, they're one of of a few that have done that. And the reason why they did that is we because they had initially invited that and celebrated that. And then it got out of control because one of the challenges when you're dealing with woke people is you can't ever do enough to appease them. So no matter how much you give them, they will just want more, which is why it's best to not allow any of this in the workplace to begin with. You know, there's been companies that have allowed people to wear Black Lives Matter t-shirts to work, but not Blue Lives Matter. It's like, why on earth would you do that? Really? Mm-hmm. Who, what companies yes. did that? Do you know? That was, I believe that was Goodyear that did that. I don't know that it was Goodyear corporate, but it was during a training session. They said, you know, they were doing diversity training <laughs> and they said, Black Lives Matter is okay. Because everyone agrees with that, which everyone does agree that Black Lives Matter, except for, you know, racists and crazy people sure. but that's just a minority right but blue lives matter was considered political because it was supporting the police which has become political so this is the kind of stuff that's happening and you cannot ever win and these companies are starting to learn that but it's very slow and a lot of them are digging in further and haven't learned yet and united's a pretty good example of that yeah it it seems like you know, to your point about, you know, Black Lives Matter shirts are okay and, and Blue Lives aren't. It's like, I think the vast majority, if we just took a step back in, from the politics of everything and, and all the baggage that's that comes with some of these statements, like, I think everyone would agree that all lives matter, right? Like, I don't think that's a far-fetched thing <laughs> to say. Um, right. But, you know, if if you're taking the focus off of the people who've been oppressed, to, to your point, like, the, the woke people aren't okay with that. Um, it's, it's very strange how, like, like you said, um, you know, then they can never be satisfied. Like there's always something else. We always got to do more. There's always, it's like, they can't grasp the fact that on some level, like life isn't fair. Like if, if everything was completely even Steven square and fair and like, there would, like, we'd all be gray blobs. Like (laughs) that's, it's, um, that's just not how things are. Like nature is asymmetrical in and of itself. Like, can you imagine if all the trees in the world had to be the same height? Like, right. that, it's just not, that's not how things work, man. It's um, it, it's very weird to see. And uh, I don't know, it it makes me wonder like, you know, where it came from. And I, I, I do have theories on that. Like, cause you know, I, I think all of these people are well-intended. I think most of them are well-intended. Um, I mentioned Cassandra Spencer is on the show and, and I asked her about, you know, do you think people are malicious in, in some of this stuff or if, if they're actually well-intended? And she said she thinks that uh, people higher up that are driving a lot of these um, initiatives, let's say, are a little bit more malicious, whereas the people that are carrying them out and, and carrying the picket signs and all of this um, and throwing bricks through windows, are uh, just useful idiots is what she called yeah. them. I, I thought that was an interesting point. But in terms of where it comes from, I'm, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on this, but it, it seems to me like this is this strange ideological counterweight to you know the wrongdoings of you know, organizations that existed in the past, like in, in you know institutions that existed in the past, like slavery, KKK, sure. things like this, but we've moved away from those things and, and rightfully so, you know, they were wrong. 
but you know, it's like we're we're trying to fix racism with more racism. Like where we're trying, where we're we're you know shunning whiteness or, or white people. You know, you see the book White Fragility, Catch All the Rage, and it, it just seems like um, you're like it's like some of these people maybe haven't ever learned the, the principle that two wrongs don't make a right. <laughs> like um, it, that that's my kind of uh, perception of it. I'm I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. Well, I think there's a lot of factors. The first is it goes back to the classic, you know, dichotomy of individualism versus collectivism, where where some people feel like they have this inherent duty. Collectivists, it's all about the the collective, which isn't a bad thing as long as it's not at the expense of the individual, right? And that's the problem is you you can't really have both. You can't have individualism and collectivism sit in the same society. And that's what we have, right? I think you have the, the ideological left are more collectivist. They want to do what's right for society, even if that makes means paying more taxes, giving up more liberties, all of those things where you have more of the right ideology is more about, you know, I would like my individual liberties and please leave me alone and I won't bother you. As long as I don't bother you, please don't bother me. I'm obviously oversimplifying, right, the concepts, sure. but in essence, that's kind of what it is. And so I actually, in my master's thesis many years ago, I wrote about how, you know, the self-help books today are really just, you know, one of those two sides. They either focus on individualism or they focus on collectivism. And I was doing it through the lens of self-help books at that time. This was quite a number of years ago, but it's the same thing. And I think that's what you're seeing in the ideologies. You know, yes, you have white fragility, which is a very popular, unfortunately popular book that I think has, you know, not made our society better, right? Because it focuses on how race is the most important thing and how you're racist no matter what. And if you're white, but there's also another book that was written by a black man named Shelby Steele called White Guilt. And it describes the phenomenon that we're dealing with perfectly is that you have successful white people who feel guilty not that they have any reason to feel guilty, but they feel guilty and they feel like they need to do something. And so they latch on to these, you know, Black Lives Matter organizations or causes or things and think that they're doing something positive. It's kind of being a useful idiot, I think. But it's a little more than that, right? I don't think they have bad intentions. I don't think the CEO of my company has bad intentions at all. I think he has very good intentions. I also think he has white guilt. And that's unfortunate because... You know, I, I see all this having gone on the past year or so hasn't made our company better. It's just divided people into little tribes. We didn't have any, you know, significant race or gender issues at the company at all. You know, I'm in HR, so I see that stuff. We didn't have, you know, we had a few complaints here and there that had no substantive, you know, facts to them at all. You know, now we have a lot more of that because people are paying more attention to it, to microaggressions and unconscious bias and all these things that they didn't know before and now they know and so now they're seeing it. And listen, I'm not saying those things don't exist to some degree, but they don't exist to the degree that some of these authors are trying to convince you that they exist and the diversity trainers because they're making money off of it. I mean, it's a great, it's a great scam. <laughs> These, these people charge thousands of dollars. Robin D'Angelo gets thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a day for her time to train people. Wow. 
That's a good hustle. She's the one that wrote uh, White Fragility. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So companies pay her big bucks. So, I mean, it's a great hustle. It's a great thing if you can get it. Yeah, it sounds it. I mean, supply and demand, right? I guess so. That's <laughs> it's the in demand. <laughs> That's the problem. And and a lot of these people who are getting these diversity jobs, I've noticed just looking on different profiles on LinkedIn, a lot of them have no background in this. They just have an interest and there's such a demand. I mean, almost every company that didn't have a diversity and inclusion leader or staff prior to George Floyd getting killed has them now. Yeah. I mean, it's exploded. So if you're if you were in that field already, which, you know, only a small number of companies had those kind of folks on their staff earlier. If you actually had experience doing that, you could command your salary and get a really cushy job at a top Fortune 100 company. It's happening. But um, Stephanie, I'm curious where you kind of see this all going. You did mention earlier that like, you know, it's never enough. There's always, you know, something more um, in, 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 in the, the woke ideology is chasing this idea of perfect fairness, let's say, right? Um, but, but obviously it's, it's unattainable, it doesn't exist. So wh where do you see this all going? Cause like, it just here's a really silly example for you. Um, like I have allergies, I'm pretty allergic to, to dogs and cats and stuff like that. And uh, sometimes I go into restaurants that are like, you know, it's very, very hip to be a dog friendly restaurant, but it's like, what if I was a, a woke person started complaining about how, you know, these, these places shouldn't be allowed to, you know, let dogs in because some people are allergic and it's not fair and whatever. Like in my mind, the answer is like for me to not go in those places or just deal with it. Right. Like, you know, they're, they're a corporation, they have a right to do what they want and that's fine. But, um, like where, where does this go? Where do you draw the line? When, when, where's enough enough? Well, my own personal opinion is I think we need to get back to the place where we kept all of this out of the workplace, all politics and all social justice and all of that. Because what happens is, is, you know, again, you're appealing to sometimes the, the loudest voices. Sometimes they're in the minority. Sometimes it might be you know, more like 50-50 split for in terms of what people think. But the other side who doesn't really want all this shoved down their throat at work is getting fed up. I have a, um, a follower of my work. He's a pilot at United. He heard me on a podcast and reached out and started sharing with me some, some things that are going on at United, right? Major company. And he's a pilot. He's been there for a very long time. And he also happens to be gay which isn't really important for him to tell me, but he mentioned it one time other than to just make a point, like people think most gay people are happy about all the stuff we're doing for pride <laughs> month at United, but I'm not, I just, I don't want to talk about my sexuality at work. I just want to fly planes yeah. and be safe. And what he also said to me was, you know, we have a lot of issues at United, right? I mean, the airline industry has been damaged by COVID and, you know, they want to just, focus on building the business back. And, you know, their, their number one priority should be safety, getting the planes from point A to point B safely and hopefully on time, treating the customers well and treating their employees well. But instead, during Pride Month, they're sending out, you know, emails about, you know, hey, we want you to put your pronouns in our system so we know which pronouns you want to be addressed by. 
And his point was, is this is just irritating me. I don't like all this wokeness. I just want to focus on the mission of the company and all this stuff is a distraction. It's not a good distraction. And we have other issues to resolve. And what he said was, is this is causing me to be less engaged with my job. I don't want to open emails from United Corporate anymore because it just irritates me. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want my pilots feeling that way. No, 100%. I want them landing me safely. <laughs> right. And he's not asking, you know, obviously he's more to the right politically, right? Personally, that's where he happens to fall. So he's not asking, hey, can we have, you know, Donald Trump rallies at work? Like he's not, he's not asking for that. He's just saying, can we keep all of it out? Can we just focus on things that are related to the mission and the principles of the company and not pronouns and things like that? Do you think that that's a realistic path forward? Like, do you think there's a, a realistic way for that to begin to happen? I know you've seen it, like, like I said, with Basecamp earlier um, and in some other companies, but um, I think it would need a, a more seismic shift than what we've seen so far. Do you think it's attainable? I think it needs leaders who are willing to say, we're not doing that. And I don't think we have enough of those. I think that's a problem because here's the, the issue that we've created. And, and I don't say we meaning you and me, because I, I wasn't involved in this and you probably weren't either. <laughs> sure. I mean, it in the society from the perspective of our society is as a society, we have created this environment where we've allowed this to occur. So if we had not allowed it to occur, that would be a lot better. Getting rid of it is not going to be easy because we've been teaching, you know, at college campuses, we've been teaching these kids that your voice matters and this is important and white people are racist and America's, you know, founded in slavery and bigotry and founded on stolen land. I mean, and we're teaching K through 12 that too. So what I think is going to happen is you're going to have, and this is just a, a prediction. I don't know for sure. I think you're going to have some companies that are not going to be able to let this go because their leaders will continue to embrace it because it's so deeply embedded. But then I think you'll have companies like Basecamp, also like Goya Foods, who their CEO stood up to that too and said, we're, mm. not, we're not playing that game. What happened was, this was a year or two ago, the CEO was invited to speak at the White House when Donald Trump was still president. He was invited to attend some kind of Hispanic White House Business Initiative event, something like that. And so he came, he's a Hispanic immigrant, the CEO of Goya Foods, and he runs that company. And he was invited to attend the event. And of course, he got all this criticism. You can't go to the White House because Donald Trump is a racist and a bigot. And how dare you? And, you know, they went berserk, right? And they tried to cancel him. And he stood up and he said, I'm going. I got invited by the president of the United States who has been nothing but respectful to me. And he asked me to participate in this event and this is an important initiative and I'm going, thank you very much. And he went and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Congresswoman from New York, she tried to organize a boycott against Goya Foods. Well, it backfired spectacularly because their sales went up quite a bit that following quarter. And in fact, the CEO who's kind of my hero he said he he made fun out of it and he nominated her to be, you know, their honorary employee of the month that following quarter after they had record earnings. Right. And he just Excellent. moved on. He just moved on and ran his company and they're doing just fine. 
So yes, they probably lost a few customers, but they gained more. And I never bought their stuff before. I, you know, I don't really eat that kind of food, but a lot of it, you know, like black beans and garbanzo beans and things like that. I mean, I can buy that stuff too. So I actually went out and spent $30 on the stuff after I heard about the story and took it to a local food bank. I kept some of it and it was actually pretty good. And I still buy the stuff today. And I never even really noticed. I thought it was mostly spicy food. It was Hispanic food. I don't, I don't buy a lot of that at the grocery store, but I went and checked it out and there's stuff I still buy today. And there you go. In my yeah. house. So, so, and obviously a lot of other people did it because their sales have been just fine. So that's where, that's how I think you win. Yeah, no, we definitely need leadership in, in that regard. And I, it's um you made a good point about now that it's here it's going to be hard to get rid of like there's the there's this inertia that this woke movement has created right and stopping it is going to take extra effort as opposed to you know limiting it from from the get go but um it it's it's really interesting too because you know kind of like the CEO of Goya Foods there once you know you speak out and stand up for you know the just anything that's not woke, I guess, <laughs> um, you get attacked and called a racist and, and all of this stuff. And it's uh, it's going to be hard to traverse those kind of accusations. But I think as time goes on and more people are like, really, people are getting upset over that? Like, are you kidding me? Uh, more people right. kind of wake up to this. I, I think, you know, as, as these events happen, right? Like, more and more people get displaced to the other side of, you know, this, this woke narrative that that's going around. So I don't know that that's one thing that gives me hope just that it's essentially that the whole movement just makes itself look stupid on a regular basis. <laughs> well, they do. And they continue, they continue to go more and more off the deep end. And so, yeah, those that maybe are okay with it now, whatever they're doing a month from now might cause them to say, Oh, well, that's, that's too much. So I think the only way is to stand up. Now I have also heard some theories that, you know, we're, what we're doing is we're kind of creating two economies. You're going to have kind of woke companies and unwoke companies and people will choose to work for and or do business with the appropriate companies and that kind of, or with the respective companies, I should say. And I see that a little bit, especially with this cancel culture, you know, you have companies like MailChimp and certain banks wanting to cancel conservative groups accounts. You have, um, you know, the NRA, people didn't want to give them a bank account. They had several banks. They were not going to host your account. The NRA hasn't broken any laws that I'm aware of. So they are just a group that's pro second amendment. You can agree or disagree with, with the NRA, and you can agree or disagree with their their mission or their tactics, they still have a right to have a bank account and an email service. And that's what's happening to quite a few conservative commentators, conservative companies, is they are losing their platforms. Like, look what happened to Parler, which was a social media platform. Yeah. And they were hosted on Amazon Web Services, and Amazon just shut them off. That was so crazy. guess what? There's going to be this whole economy now for companies that won't do that. Parlor's back and, and you know, now someone affiliated with President Trump's administration is starting a new social media platform. I haven't checked it out yet. I think it's called Getter. And people are, you're gonna see people and people, you know, a lot of conservatives don't like Facebook because they censor you, they sell your information. 
you know, all those things. So you're going to start to see, I think, these two economies. I think schools is going to be another place you're going to see it because the schools are going all in on, you know, critical race theory, which is teaching this racism, you know, theories in the schools. And I think you're going to start to see more kids pull them out. I think you're going to see more states start to adopt school choice and you're going to see more charter schools in certain states. Others won't allow it, but some will. And I think you're going to start to see two educational systems too. It's going to take a while, but if people don't pull it back to the center, I think that's where we're headed. And I think that's where we're headed in certain areas either way, because I've seen it already. Payment platforms, email platforms, banks, hosting services, mail services, all of these things. Yeah. You're finding new companies pop up that say, and social media, we, we support free speech. We're not going to kick you off for having an opinion that we don't like. Yeah, I, I, I think you're dead on about that. And I think there's also hope, though, in the fact that, you know, MailChimp, for example, denying conservative people accounts or, or what have you, because I have heard about that as well. Um, in fact, I was telling you about Cassandra Spencer. I don't think she could get a MailChimp account, um, mm -hmm. speaking of. And I, I think that's just going to drive down the demand for those platforms. And they're either going to have to change their policy or they're just going to get beat out. Like, right. I, I think that the free market will kind of weed those things out over time, at least yes. I'm hopeful anyway. I think so too. It just, it does take time. Yeah. But it's happening. No, 100%. Yeah. It's happening already. Yeah. The, uh, the educational systems are a whole nother, uh, ball of wax though. I mean, obviously, you know, the whole social justice movement is, is firmly rooted into the university systems. I think, uh, for that to change is going to take a lot more time compared to some of these other things. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. That's a whole nother discussion probably. Yeah, well, we might have to save that one for another podcast. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> um, I did want to ask you, though, have you heard of uh, Titania McGrath? Are you aware of this? Yes. Yeah, okay, she's cool. the social media personality, right, that, that posts outrageous stuff that it's kind of like a pseudonym alter ego sort of thing. Yes, uh, Andrew Doyle, comedian created it as uh, just a, a fake account to essentially, you know, poke fun at, at a lot of this woke ideology and draw things to an extreme in a very satirical uh, way. And I, I, I think there's a lot of uh, hope in, in some of these satirical things, whether it be uh, something like Titania McGrath or South Park or, or things that just can kind of give you a different perspective on some of these issues versus the the ones you get from your emails from your employer like American Airlines right. or the mainstream news or whatnot. Um, I, I think there's a lot of hope in in those things. I'm curious to what you think about them. Yeah, I think I follow Titania McGrath on Twitter. And I did know that it was a it was a parody account. Although I don't think I figured it out at first. <laughs> I think it took, I think I, I mean it didn't take me that long, but I think at first I was like, wow. Um, but there's also Babylon B, which is a great site that has great articles that every once in a while someone will send something to me and I'll I'll kind of my jaw will drop on the floor and then I'll realize, oh wait, that's Babylon B. It's not actually not that bad. So yes, I think that I think we've also got to bring back comedy. I mean, that's one of the things I've heard Adam Carolla say this. You know, as comedians are like the the temperature check of society, and we have to let them 
talk about stuff and let them say politically incorrect things and let them talk about race in a funny way. And, and if they provoke people, that's okay. That's, that's a sign of a, of a healthy society. And we've kind of muzzled some of the comedians, right? Chris, um, Chris Rock and Kevin Hart and some of these other people have had some issues because of things they've said in the past and then they got you know canceled or lost hosting jobs or whatever mm-hmm. and adam carolla said this for a while i've heard him he's like we got to bring comedy back and just let comedians be comedians and let them offend and let them say what they want because then we can laugh about it and then we can you know connect over it and then we can just you know like you said not everyone and everything is equal it's not how the world works so yes there are differences now people shouldn't make you know completely racist remarks but they do have the right to if they want to there is still free speech it doesn't mean it's you know a kind thing to say or an appropriate thing to say and and obviously in certain environments it shouldn't be allowed but comedians should be allowed to be comedians and we're not really letting them do that right now so i'm hoping that that comes back a little bit yeah there's a interesting (laughs) <laughs> point of view from a, a comic actually Ari Shafir he uh has said I think it was a year or two ago when and so now it's even better uh he he said though now is a great time to be in comedy because it's dangerous and like right. like almost like pushing that envelope was just uh you know something he thrives on and and that you know quite frankly I think a lot of people who listen to comedy um and, and can laugh at things uh, thrive on as well. So I, I think there's, there's definitely a hope for that. And, and, you know, but we, we can't, we can't censor these people and we, we need to, to let them say things. We need to be able to laugh. We need to be able to connect over, over laughter like that. And it's especially just, you know, cause some of the things are just so hypocritical in the first place. Like, I mean, you look at, and on both sides to, to be fair, like, you know, right. everyone has their own hypocrisies. Sure. Um, it's just, uh, you know, some people are more inclined to get on their moral high ground and, and point at other people for them uh, than, than others <laughs> when it becomes a problem. But the, the, the hypocrisy though, of something like uh, what Tanya, to Tanya McGrath tweeted something about how uh, Martin Luther King was clearly like too, um, I don't know, lazy or whatever to read critical race, critical race theory. So he was white or, or, or semi white or something like that. And it just made this, beautiful uh it pointed at this beautiful hypocrisy of this whole thing and on the right. idea that like you know if you focus on race like you're, you're gonna create racism like you were describing you know schools and businesses and things being segregated um and it just it seems like we're going back in time in a sense we are we are yeah a lot of um diversity training sessions are separated by race white people in this room and people of color in this room, which that's uh, amazing to me that that we're in the year 2021 and we're still doing that. I mean, I, I can't believe it, but it's it's happening. Yeah, I'm, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but I don't know, I, I think that, you know, you, you mentioned comedy and some of this satire, the Babylon Bee to Tony McGrath. Um, I feel like, in, I came up with this analogy. You'll have to tell me if if you think it's, if it resonates with you at all, Um, that we're like, in a sense, uh, we're we're like frogs in a boiling pot or or almost boiling pot of of woke water. And it seems like 
you know, the, the temperature and the water is getting turned up and, and we're not realizing it. Well, some of us are over time, but um, a lot of the culture is not. But it seems like things like the bee, things like Tatani McGrath, South Park comedy um, that pushes the envelope is in a sense turning up the heat very fast and, and making people realize what's going on. And I don't know, does that resonate with you at all? It does. I would say it a little bit differently. I would say that every every frog has a different boiling point. Yes, that's right. So what's boiling to you might not be boiling to me. And then at some point, you know, I'm going to jump out of the water and say I've had enough. And, and some people will just live there forever. And, and I think that's a small minority of people. But others, you know, I, I remember it was about a month or two ago, Coca-Cola, um, there was some in kind of investigative reporting whistleblowing going on that, that they had had some training telling their employees to be less white. You know, that was how you could fix this is be less white. And, it, and they meant like be less arrogant, be less whatever. And it was all these things that you were supposed to do to be less white. Well, that got out. It wasn't even a Coca-Cola internal training, but it was a, a training session that they li- that they licensed from LinkedIn training designed by Robin D'Angelo, the author of White Fragility. But the Coca-Cola employees were, you know, given this in their library. So Coca-Cola licenses this library and their employees have access to it. So it was it was ascribed to them, which, you know, they did they did do that. So they do deserve a little bit of heat for that. And that got out. And that caused some people who hadn't seen anything wrong before to go, okay, wait a minute, that's not okay. Right. And so there's there's things like that all the time. Um, you know, for some people it's, you know, the drag queens with the kids, like some of the LGBTQ advocacy sometimes crosses a line for some people, right? It's like, okay, I, I want gay people to have rights, you know, whatever their thoughts are about gay marriage. I mean, that is, a, we ha- it's legal now in America, so it is what it is, but I don't really want drag queens reading books to my kids at their school, Right. Like that's just feels too much. Or the pride parades can sometimes the behavior at those parades, what they're celebrating can be not very family friendly. So everyone has kind of a different boiling point or different threshold for some of this stuff. It might be something that happens at work. It might be a company that they, you know, are a customer of. Um, It might be something they hear. Like I know a lot of people were upset about the Coca-Cola thing that don't even really drink Coca-Cola, but they still couldn't believe that such an iconic American company did that. So, you know, I think everyone has their threshold where they say, okay, this has gone too far. I now see what the people who've been yelling about this for a really long time are talking about. I thought they were just, you know, rabble rousers, but actually they're right. And you're seeing that in the schools too, right? A lot of parents paying a little more attention to what's going on. Now they're showing up at school board meetings and they have a lot to say to their school board. I mean, that's like the hottest ticket in town is to go to your school board meeting now. When, When has that ever been the case in America? Usually those are really boring, but... They're not boring anymore. You see all the videos, no, no. right? No, they're serving booze. They got snacks. It's a good time. Yeah, I mean, it's a car. It's a you know, it's a carnival. It's a party, right? They got the police and they're throwing people out. I mean, you know, it's it's a show now, and yeah. I don't think that people, you know, some people are doing it just for you know to go viral, but it's the majority of it is just parents who are fed up, and they've had yeah. enough. They reached their boiling point, and now they want to do something about it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I wonder, um, you know, to your point, every frog has a different boiling point. But I wonder uh, at what point 
and, and maybe it won't be obvious until it's already happened, you know, years past in retrospect, but I wonder what the, uh, the boiling point will be for our, our culture as a whole, where, where, you know, we shift a little more the other way and instead of continuing to push um, towards wokeness. But um, Stephanie, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you got to get going. So I thought maybe we can end on uh, one more question. And, sure. and that is, um, you know, for the people who are, are, are fed up, um, you know, like the parents that are going to school board meetings, um, what can the average person do? Because I mean, I don't know about you, but to me, it feels like the whole culture thing is is very much out of my control. Um, what, what do you recommend? Uh, like, what can average people do? Sure. Is it just buy Goya foods and attend school board meetings or enlighten us? <laughs> I, I think that's a good start. I think there's more to it than that. I would say for employees who are feeling this way and like the pilot at United that that reaches out to me regularly, I would say join the corporate workplace, join my website. It's it's www.corporateworkplace.com. Sign up for the mailing list. I am working on some things that can kind of help those that are suffering and need a place to just kind of commiserate and vent and maybe brainstorm on ideas of things to do to, to cope. So I'm working on some things for that that I'm hoping to launch, you know, later this year. So being on the mailing list will help do that. That's one thing. Also speak out. You know, I sent that letter to my CEO. I, I did do it anonymously because I did have some fear of retaliation. So I sent it anonymously. You can do things like that and say, hey, I don't agree with this and here's why. And I don't appreciate that, you know, we're being asked to do this or that, you know, you're, you're um, asserting your ideology that's really political. I don't, I don't think... We need to talk about the Georgia voting law. Now, my CEO didn't do that, but others did, right? So speaking up, being brave. It's going to take more people being brave to do this and finding ways to do it, whatever that is for you. Maybe it's, you know, not buying Coca-Cola anymore because you don't appreciate what they said. Maybe it's telling 10 people about what Coca-Cola did. Um, maybe it's sending a letter. Maybe it's, you know joining a boycott Coca-Cola social media campaign on Twitter or Facebook. I don't know, but do something to the degree that you're comfortable. I would never suggest that someone do something that they're not comfortable with because then it won't be, you know, you'll be consumed with fear and that's not, that's not healthy. But what I have learned is that bravery is contagious. And so your bravery inspires other braver, other people's bravery. And it also multiplies. So the braver you are, the easier it becomes. I love that. And on that note, I would say you are uh, a source of that bravery inspiration. So I, I thank you for sharing the things you do. And uh, I would love to have you back on. We have uh, several things we didn't get to, and including my uh, my friend Chief Wahoo that I wanted to ask you about. So um, okay. per perhaps we'll have to do another one on that. But uh, Stephanie, thanks so much for doing this. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. You too. Appreciate it.